how wonderful, how great, what a privilege, what an honor to be with you this week, exploring the holiness of God so that we can reflect that holiness to the world. Before we draw our series to a close, let's recap uh, some of the things that we've talked about so far. Holiness is God's defining characteristic, and we are made in his image. God is holy, 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 and we are created and called to be holy as God is holy. Now, holiness originates from and is cultivated through proximity to God. And so as we spend time with God, walk with God, learn from God, and serve God, we become more and more conformed to the image of the Son. God's heart becomes our heart. God's holiness is expressed through compassion, by drawing near to, not away from, those in distress, toward the poor, toward the broken, toward the vulnerable. God draws near to his people through a burning bush, through a pillar of flame, through the tabernacle, through the prophets, through Jesus, and now through the church. Compassion means to suffer with. And God suffers with those in distress through us. Compassion leads to reconciliation, which leads to peace. And in a polarized world, holy people don't build higher walls. We build longer tables. Holy people devote themselves to the long and patient and difficult work of turning foes into friends and friends into family. Because that's what the holiness of God looks like. But what is all of this building up to? What does God's commitment and our commitment to proximity and compassion and reconciliation ultimately do for the world? Where is Jesus taking us? And what happens when the holiness of God has transformed everything and everyone? How does this story end? As I shared this week, I did not grow up in the church. I grew up in a nominally Buddhist immigrant family just outside Toronto, Canada. So I was largely unfamiliar with the teachings of Jesus. And I thought Christianity was just another religion. And it was basically about how to be a good person and how to go to heaven when you die. And nobody explained to me that Christianity was really about the good news of Jesus. And I think that's because maybe we only focus on one part of the good news. So what is the, the good news? What we call the gospel. I mean, do you know? Do you really know? Now, how would you explain it? This is really important because Jesus tells his followers to preach the gospel to all nations, to anybody who will listen. And every Christian ought to be able to clearly answer the question, what is the gospel? But I've discovered that if you ask 10 different people, you might get 10 different answers. Because the truth is that the scriptures are full of gospel. It's all gospel. It's all good news. And you can take a piece of it and be right. And still not, your gospel still might be too small. 
And so for many, of pe- many people, this, this is what it was for me, uh, when, especially when I was beginning to explore the Christian faith. The message of Christianity goes something like this. We are all broken. We are all flawed and even sinful people. That doesn't mean that we're all terrible human beings, but all that we uh, have said, we've all said and we've all done things that go against God's desires for humanity. None of us are truly innocent. We are all complicit in the evil that plagues our world. We hurt people and they hurt us. We participate in systems that benefit some and are harmful to others. We participate in those things. And our complicity in these sins has profoundly damaged, even severed our relationship with God and with each other. And the message that you may have heard is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to live among us and lived a sinless life and died for my sins and your sins on the cross. And if you put your trust in Jesus, your sins will be forgiven and you will go to heaven. And that's what a lot of people think of when they think of the gospel, a word that literally means good news. Now, that is what I just shared with you is definitely good news. We all wonder what happens to us when we die. It's beautiful news. Death comes for every Person. Some of us recently have been touched by death around us. And we need to know that there is hope for life after death. This is definitely good news. It's an important part of the story of Jesus and the message of the church. But what you might not know, or have perhaps it's kind of passed you by, is that this is not actually the same gospel or good news that Jesus was famous for announcing everywhere that he went. Mark 1, Gospel of Mark, begins with these words, the beginning of the good news, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And then just a few verses later, as he begins his ministry in Mark 1.14, we read that Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe this gospel, the good news. Now, when some people hear the words, the kingdom of God is near, they think we're referring to the end of the world, like Armageddon or Ragnarok. But no, Jesus says this is good news, and this is why. This was the time of the Roman Empire, and in those days when the Romans conquered a new land in the name of their emperor, Caesar, who they called the Son of God, they would parade through the streets and they would announce the good news of the latest victory of Caesar, the gospel according to Caesar. Another land conquered for their God, Caesar. Caesar had brought peace and prosperity once again. Of course, he brought peace by violently crushing anyone who got in his way. But you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs, right? And then, and then here comes Jesus, the radical message, a new gospel, 
He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe this gospel, this good news. These were dangerous words. They made Jesus an enemy of the state. Because not only did Jesus say that God's kingdom had come near, he would also later refer to God as his father. Jesus was claiming to be the son of God. He, not Caesar, was the king of this new kingdom. And so Jesus used political language to describe his message and his mission. The gospel is inherently political. And so everywhere that Jesus went, he preached this same message. He talked about the kingdom of God all the time. And he said it was near. It's close. It's here now, right in front of you. It's here. The world is about to change. God is doing something new. Get ready. You see, Jesus didn't come just so we could go to heaven one day. He came to bring heaven to us. Today, the gospel is not just that there is life after death. The gospel is that there is life before death. You said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. So where is history headed? Where is God taking us? What what, what is a world that has been completely saturated in and transformed by the holiness of God look like? Can we skip to the end of the story for a minute? The Apostle John was given a revelation of what the kingdom of God in all of its glory was going to look like. In Revelation 21, the second to last chapter in the Bible, which we heard this morning, he writes, I saw a new heaven and a new earth because the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city. The holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away and he who was seated on the throne said I am making all things new and then he said write this down these words are trustworthy and true. This is the good news that Jesus is announcing. The kingdom of God is near. It's close. In fact, it's breaking out in our midst. That is good news. Because, you know, imagine if the, the message of Jesus was, you know, life is really terrible. It's really terrible here on earth. I see it. You see it. All that stuff you've been talking about this week, yep, it's bad. It's a mess. But hang on tight. Believe in me, and when you die, I'm going to get you out of here (laughs) to a better place. In the meantime, good luck. I'll see you in 50, 60 years. 
Some of us may not have to wait that long. No, no, no. The gospel is so much better than that. Jesus has plans for us and for the world we live in right now. And Jesus told all kinds of stories to describe uh, what, the, what the kingdom of God was like. And he told us these stories for two reasons. First, to give us something to look forward to. One day, Jesus will usher in the kingdom of God in all of its glory, and the world will be completely transformed. There will be no more crying and no more sickness or pain or death, no more injustice, no more hate, no more division, no more racism, no more fear, no more COVID, no more cancer. holy city of God will descend from the clouds our bodies will be transformed and the whole world along with it in other words heaven is coming here this earth will still be our home but it will be different it will be made new and second Jesus told us these stories to reframe how we see the present everybody sees the darkness and the dysfunction in the world Anybody can share bad news. Anyone can do that. But we are good news people. And Jesus wants us to see how heaven is breaking out on earth. The kingdom is near. It's, it, it's like a wall that is beginning to crack. And, and we can begin to see light pouring through from the other side. And Jesus tells us what the kingdom of God is like. Not only so we have hope for tomorrow, but so that we have hope for today. And we can help others to, to have this hope as well. But Jesus also told us these stories to give us purpose. They are not just inspirational, they are also instructional. The good news of the kingdom is a call to action. It is a royal summons from the throne of heaven. Once Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them how to pray and Jesus replied this is how you should pray our father our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Jesus tells us to start by addressing God as father and to praise his holy name. And then the first thing that we are told to pray for is for God's kingdom to come. And then we're told what that means. God's kingdom is experienced wherever God's will is done. In other words, wherever God is acknowledged as king. And whenever and wherever people do God's will on earth as it is done in heaven, God's kingdom begins to break out in our midst. So God says in his kingdom, there will be no more sickness and no more pain and no more death. And so our question becomes, God, how do we make this world look more like that one? God says in his kingdom, there will be no more hunger and no more thirst and no more poverty. God, how do we make this world look more like that? God says in this kingdom there will be no more division and no more hate. Oh God, how do we make this world look more like that? 
Jesus constantly talked about his kingdom to give us hope, to give us something to look forward to, but also so that we can start doing God's will on earth as it is done in heaven to make earth look more like heaven every day, to show people a tiny glimpse of what God's kingdom looks like. Jesus is making all things new. But Jesus spoke so often about the kingdom of God. And when the people realized that he was no ordinary teacher, that Jesus was the son of God, they asked him, Lord, how, how can a person be saved? And by that they meant, how can, how can we enter this kingdom that you are describing? I want to be in it. I, how do I get in? And this is how Jesus answered them. He said, truly, I tell you, no one can even see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. In Matthew 18, he says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 7, 21, he says, Not everybody says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And the will of the Father is that we believe in the Son and follow the Son. And in Mark 1.15, we read this, the, the, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe this good news. This is how we enter the kingdom, by repenting, by being born again, by changing, becoming like little children. And what does that mean? What does it mean to repent? What does it mean to repent? It doesn't mean feeling sorry for the bad things that we've done. That's not repentance. That's remorse. And God does not call us to remorsefulness, although we may feel remorse. That's not what God calls us to. He calls us to repentance. And to repent means to turn. It means to change. To change your thinking. To change your perspective. To change your priorities to change your allegiance, to change the entire direction of your life, to start over, to be born again, to turn toward Jesus. And so with that understanding, now that we understand the kingdom and how to enter it, now we understand that the good news of Jesus is about the kingdom of God, we hear Jesus' words in John 3.16, which we often use when we talk about the gospel. We hear it differently. In John 3.16, Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus came to save the world. Not just me, but the world. He came to save it. And the word in Greek is sozo, which means not, not just a rescue from danger or destruction, but also to restore, to heal, to cure, to make well. Jesus came to save you so he could save us. His plan is not to get me out of here, but to use me 
to bring the shalom of God, the peace of the kingdom to all creation. The shalom of God in which nothing is missing and nothing is broken. That is what a world that has been saturated in and transformed by the holiness of God looks like. And that is what the angels sang about. In Isaiah 6, which we read at the beginning of this series, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of God's presence and his power and his beauty and his goodness and his justice, full of God's glory, drenched in holiness. That's where we're Now, all through history, God has been calling people like you and me to participate in the shalom of God, extending the shalom of God to every corner of the earth. And every time God has made the same promise, the same promise, I will be with you. But something changed when Jesus came into the world, or more accurately, when he left the world to return to the Father. Before he left, he said, if you love me, keep my commands. I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in the Spirit of God is not only with us, the Spirit is in us. After Jesus rose from the grave, he says, said to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you are going to be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth. Now, what kind of power are we talking about? What is it that we will be empowered to be and to do? I'd like us to watch this short video again from the Bible Project to help us understand the nature of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you've ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place. But then above the chaos, God's Spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but what is God's Spirit? Yeah, so the Spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you got to clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy? How so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right. Wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. <sighs> so you feel that inside you. Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply, that too is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, Ruach. 
Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's Ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's Spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's Spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's Ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes, and the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up and God's spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. The story is saying that God's spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus, and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the Spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's Spirit. And so today, the Spirit is still hovering in dark places. Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the Spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving spirit. What kind of power have we been given? Resurrection power. Life. The power to become the new creation that Jesus promised. God is making all things new, beginning with us. This is the good news that we have been called to proclaim and to embody and to bring into being with God. Trevecca Nazarene University's mission is to provide education for leadership and service within the context of a Christian community. Leadership and service. That is what you are being prepared for here. And a tremendous investment is being made in you by God and by your families and by the faculty and the staff, by your churches. You are being poured into so that you can pour out love and knowledge and goodness and mercy and justice into the world. And it's our prayer that you would be a holy generation set apart for God, 
set apart for the sake of the world. And it's our prayer that you would be a preview of the kingdom, the holy city of God, a glimpse of what heaven is going to look like. What if, what, what if Christians were known as people who valued proximity? If we were known as people who made time for others, when people are around us, they can tell we're fully present. As if they're the only person that matters at that moment. And we have all the time in the world. I had the pleasure of having dinner with Dr. Boone, his wife, Denise, last night. And that's how they made me feel. That they had all the time in the world just to be with me. Because that's what it's like to be in God's presence. What if Christians were known as people of compassion, who suffered with people in their distress, who you could count on, you could count on these Christians not to judge you when you're hurting and to help you heal? What if Christians were known as peacemakers? What if the, we, we were the kind of people, every, we had this reputation that, that, that we loved our enemies and that if you were going to head into a very tense conversation, a very difficult conversation, you're like, we need to have a Christian in the room because they just bring this peace to the whole, they just change the atmosphere by their very presence. What if we were known as the best listeners? If I want someone to listen, I'm going to go find a Christian. What if we were known as the healers of our communities? What if we were known as holy people? Now, there's there so, so much more that we could talk about, but our time together is coming to an end. So let me just leave you with this. The holiness of God. Christ in us is the hope of glory and it is what is going to heal our world. That's an invitation, but it's also a promise. And this room is full of smart and gifted and motivated young people and you are going to make a difference. But for those who follow Jesus, our starting point is not, I want to make the world a better place. That's not our starting point. Our starting point is God is holy, holy, holy. And when that is our starting point, we finally begin to understand who we are and what we're meant for and why the world is in the state it is and what God is doing about it. When the holiness of God is our starting point, we understand that God moves towards us in our sin and brokenness. God shows his compassion. He suffers with us. His compassion leads to radical justice and inclusion and reconciliation and shalom and peace. Heaven on earth, nothing is missing. Nothing is broken. May we be rooted in the holiness of God. May that be where we start and where we finish. Let's respond to God in worship for meeting with us this week. Would you stand with me and sing? Thanks for joining us for chapel today. Be sure to check back every Tuesday and Thursday for our next gathering.